Well, do you believe our God is great? Amen. How many of you know me? Wow, really? I don't know if that intimidates me or not. But let me ask you this question. Are you sure that you know me? Well, I guess I should ask the more intimidating question. Do you know me or do you know about me? If you think that you want to know about me, you need to ask Pat, my wife, okay? Um, you know, to know about me, you know my name. Uh, you may know that I'm an elder here at House of Prayer. Uh, you probably know by looking at me that I'm an old man. Uh, you may, well, look around at the room and you'll find others as well. Uh, you, you may know that I was once a United Methodist. Uh, we'll leave that where it lays. Uh, you may know that uh, I'm a jovial person. And from time to time, people have told Pat what a nice guy I probably am, but she will say, well, you ought to live with him for a while. <laughs> okay, but in, in all that said, we may say from time to time, we know a person, but do we really? Do we really? Pray with me. Lord, we thank you for the opportunities that we have to worship you, to come to this place that has been set aside Whatever a place may be, Lord, uh, be a building, be uh, a field, be under a tree, wherever it may be that we can call a holy place for time to worship you. We thank you for giving us that opportunity. And so today, Lord, we, we humble ourselves before you. We turn our hearts and our ears towards you. And Lord, we do that this day. Lord, Take the words of my mouth and use them for your glory. If they're not your words, Lord, discount them. But whatever happens here today, Lord, may it be for your glory and for our good. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Throughout scripture, godly men and godly women uh, have said that they want to know God, that they want to know God. In Exodus 33:18, Moses puts it this way. He says, I pray, O Lord, that you show me your glory. Okay? Uh, in Psalm 42, 1, David says it like this. He says, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul thirsts for you, O God. And then David said, or, and then Paul says it this way, know him and the power of the resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Paul says, that's how I want to know him. You know, the greatest desire of a believer, the greatest desire of a believer should be to know God, to know God. Let me get my eyes. 
I want to read this morning from Philippians, the third chapter, and, the third, and starting at the third verse. I could say this uh, at the second verse. It says, look out for the dogs, but some of the people from Georgia might take offense at that. So let's begin uh, at the third verse. Paul says, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and the glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. May God bless the hearing of his word this day. Would it be, would it be a surprise to you to know that someone can be a believer and yet not know God? Would that be a surprise to you? In John, the 14th chapter, uh, and verses eight and nine, it's revealed that Philip, now do you know who Philip is or was? Philip was one of the disciples of Jesus. And, and John writes this, he says that after following Jesus for quite some time, for probably at that time a couple of years, uh, Philip says, Lord, show us the Father. And Jesus replies to him this way. He says, I, have I been so long with you and yet you have not come to know me? To be a believer, to follow Jesus for over two years and still not know? Wow, wow. You see, when the Bible talks about knowing God, it's not talking about some intellectual kind of exercise. Knowing God doesn't know, mean knowing about the facts. To know God is just not reciting God's biblical resume. You know, it's not saying, well, God is creator, uh, God uh, is kind, God is Lord, God is powerful, um, God is this and God is that. You know, these are some facts. 
to know God is not just hearing the testimony of what God has done in someone else's life. You know, well, well God helped out this person or, or God helped that person find a job or, or God provided uh, in this way for that person. And you know, they were down and out and God provided the finances that lifted them up and, and we can go on and on and on what God did for somebody else. For somebody else. You see, knowing God is encountering God and finding out that God is who he says he is. And the discovering that God is our, our, or your, or my, Heavenly Father, or our, or my, my provider, or your redeemer, or your healer, or your friend, or your savior. You see, that's knowing God because it's not a description, it's a personal understanding. It's a personal knowledge. It's not just hearing. It's not just a knowing. You know, in verse 10 of what I just read, Paul said he didn't want to know about God because he already did. He revealed those facts in verses 4 through 7. He said he wanted to know God. You see, there's this great big difference between knowing something or someone. Uh, you know, you, you say you know me, but you probably know more about me than you know me. And Paul said he wanted to know God. Paul explains all the, the religious qualifications uh, of the day. He explained his pedigree. He showed that he had what it took to be a God expert. Yeah, Paul knew all about God. But God, Paul did not know God until, until that day on the Damascus Road. That day that he met God face to face. You see, that was the day that changed Paul's life. He had that moment, that, that oh yeah, moment. That day that changed his life forever because you see, God revealed himself to Paul. Not because Paul had all the right answers, but because God came and started a relationship that, would, that Paul would have not only for the rest of his life, but for all eternity. That's why Paul said in verse three that we should have no confidence in the flesh. That's what Paul meant by saying, it doesn't matter what we know. It matters who. It matters who 
we know. Paul said for him to truly know God, he had to turn his back on all his personal accomplishments. And you know, that's difficult to turn our back on everything that we've done, to turn our backs on everything that we've accomplished, to turn our backs on everything that we have accrued in our lifetimes. But Paul said there in verse seven, he says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as lost for the sake of Christ. Whatever things were gained to me, he said, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. Better to know Christ than to know or to have stuff. Boy, we like the stuff in our lives, don't we? We like all the things that we have. We like our houses, we like our cars, we like our bank accounts. We, we like, we like, we like. But yet, all that pales, all that fades when we know Jesus. Or at least it better. Because if not, then we become like Philip. We might yet believe, but yet we don't know who it is that we really believe in. Paul follows that up in verse eight. He says, but more than that, he says, I count all things lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus. He said, nothing else matters. Nothing, nothing else matters than to know Jesus. There's nothing else in life that matters. You know, what is our priorities in life? Who is it that we love the most? You know, we start ticking off the boxes about who it is that we love. And what do we want to say? Well, wife, kids, family, kids, extended family. It's wrong. Who are we supposed to start with? We're supposed to start with God, are we not? And then we go down the list. We start with God, we start with Christ. And then we go, and it's hard to accept this, but it always has to be who first. It always has to be God first. That's the top of our priority list. And Paul says that the first thing is that everything has to follow under our love for Christ. And this reveals that even after the moment of Paul's salvation, he continued to put the things and the people of the world second, second to who Christ was in his life. Can you or do you do that? I think that's one of the questions that comes out of this, this, these few verses 
that we find Paul writing or having written here in the book of Philippians. It's always Jesus first. It's always Jesus first. Nothing before Jesus. Paul said he longed to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. To know Christ and the power of his resurrection. You read the words in this passage and Paul keeps saying to know Christ, to know Christ, to know Christ. It's not about knowing Christ. It's not about knowing Christ. It's about to know Christ, to have that relationship with Christ, to be in Christ. Paul said he, he longed to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. The power that Paul's referring to here is the same power that b- brought Christ from the tomb. Wow. Imagine the power that it took to resurrect Jesus Christ from the grave, to give him victory over death. And that's the power that Paul longed to have in his life. And every believer in Jesus Christ, every believer in Jesus Christ, I wanna show of hands, how many of you believe in Jesus Christ this morning? Paul says, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have been resurrected. That your lives today have been resurrected from the sin that would have brought you death. He says that every believer in Jesus Christ has been resurrected. We died with him, we were buried with him, and we have been risen with him. Paul didn't want to know about Christ. He wanted to know with Christ. And even without You see, maybe we can't understand the power of the resurrection, and I don't think we truly can. But Paul said that he wants to know what it's like to live a resurrected life. No longer to be in bondage to the flesh, to have victory over over sin, To know Christ in the power of his resurrection means, my friends, that you also can experience the power and to live a resurrected life. But you haven't died yet. Paul had not died yet, but he said if you believe and you know him, that you can live with the power of the resurrected life. You can know God because you can trust God and you can know that God is faithful. Most people tell you a story. We have a dear lady that lives down the street from us. And two or three times a day, you can look out across the branch in the field from our house. And here goes Mary. And she has a dog or she has two dogs. And she has them out on a leash. 
And one dog goes this way and one dog gets this way and then they go this way across each other. And where Pat and I are often worried that they're gonna tie a knot around Mary and she's gonna fall in the branch and drown. You know, most people, when they walk a dog, they walk a dog on a leash, do they not? Well, more often than not, the dogs walk to people. Do they not? But when a dog and its master have a really close relationship, the dog really doesn't need a leash, does it? It wants to stay close to its master. It wants to follow its master. It wants to be next to its master. And we should want to do that same thing. We should want, we want, to, do, should want to do the same thing uh, with Jesus. We want to be close to him. We want to know his power. We want to know his voice. And in order to know the power of Jesus' resurrection, we also, now here's perhaps one of the trying parts of that. We almost, we must also know the torment of Jesus' sufferings. Everybody is perfectly willing to experience the good stuff, the benefits of knowing Jesus, the blessings, but, but only a true follower, only a true follower will understand and experience the torment of his sufferings. Remember what he says? Blessed is he who is persecuted for my name's sake. Have you ever been persecuted for the sake of Jesus? Have you been made fun of for your faith? Have you had some, a friend turn on you or a friend lead you because of your testimony or because of your witness? Have you ever been hurt because you know Jesus and you've said that or you've lived that in front of other, in front of other people? To know Jesus, to follow Jesus, we have to also follow and to know his sufferings. Paul writes it this way. He says we have to fellowship. We think of fellowship as being good times, of being times to be with one another in community. And Paul says we have to also be a part of that if we know Jesus. You see, the reality is this, that living for Jesus isn't always easy. The closer you get to him, the greater the enemy you become of Satan. As you go down the road of knowing Jesus, you're gonna run into challenges that are tough, challenges that are awkward, challenges that are painful. You ever lost a job or, or know someone who's lost a job and they have made application and made application and made application and it seems the job never comes. You ever had a kid that, that strays from a walk of faith and you've prayed for that person and you've prayed for that person and you've prayed for that kid, that child, perhaps that spouse, and it seems like God is not listening to your prayers. 
your health has suddenly taken a nosedive and you've prayed and you've prayed and you've prayed and you've hurt and you've hurt and you've hurt and perhaps you've lost a loved one and you're tempted to lose your faith your finances go off the charts and Satan comes at you but you know that you have to trust Jesus. Where? Where do you go? You see, you have to trust. You have to know Jesus is faithful. You have to know God is as good as his word. All, living for Jesus isn't always easy. And then comes the question of why? Why me? What did I do? Friends, even though we may not always understand, Often the reason behind our trials is that God will take us to the next level of intimacy uh, with him. If we will trust in him, then we can grow in him. When we go through life's trials, you see, we are stripped. We're stripped of our opportunity uh, uh, to rely solely on ourselves. You know, we may try to fix it. We may try to fix it. We can try and try and try. But then comes the time that we realize that we can't do it ourselves. And nobody else can do it for us. And we finally have to realize that we have to turn to God. We have to turn to God. Because one thing is for sure. God will use our trials to draw us closer to him. And that will help us to know him better. Paul's priority in his life after the Damascus Road was to know Christ. And with that priority comes power, a resurrected life. With that power also comes pain, sharing in Christ's sufferings. So how does Paul, how did Paul deal with that pain? By gaining a new perspective, the perspective of knowing Christ. In verses 13 and 14, Paul wrote this. He says, I do not regard myself as having laid hold, uh, hold of it yet. He says, I still don't get it. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul knew that he couldn't change the past. And he said that he didn't have it all figured out. At one point in his life, he thought he did. He thought he knew all about God. He thought he did have it figured out. But he realized that he didn't. And he realized he still didn't have it all figured out. But he said, I will continue to do what Christ has called me to do. Friends, when we don't have it figured out and we know God, we like Paul, we like Paul must continue to do what it is God has called us to do and that is to be faithful in that calling. And we can only know, do that to know what that calling is if we know him. 
Paul had a perspective that not all believers have. He says, follow my example. In verses 17 to 20, he says, follow my example. And we should do that. He says, follow my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. Look at us, he says. For many walk of whom I have often told you and now tell you even weeping. He's crying over these people. Of whom I have often told you and now, you, uh, and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven. He says, if they don't follow Christ, if they do their own thing, if they put other things in life above Christ, he says, hurt for them, cry for them. But in the end, if they don't, they have written their own faith. They have decided their own fate. But he says, for us who know Christ, for us who know Christ, we have a promise. And our citizenship, our home, away from this world, is in heaven. And you see, that is what should keep us going because we don't belong here. Where do we belong? Paul says we belong in heaven. That's what keeps us going. This is a different viewpoint from the world today, is it not? The world around us uh, is where uh, the here and now, the you only go around once belief. That's uh, that it's the all about the here and now. It's all about me. No, no. The key to living victoriously on the earth is to, to develop a mindset of heaven. Paul doesn't tell us to ignore uh, the fact that we live in this world. He doesn't tell us to shirk our responsibilities, to walk around with our heads up in the clouds. He tells us to live our lives in light of eternity with the assurance of the promise of heaven. It's like the old song, you have to be old to remember it now, but it's like the old song that says, this world is not my home, what? I'm just passing through. God tells us that if we follow him, Jesus Christ will give us a glimpse of heaven that will keep our eyes focused on the goal. We can really rely on his strength and the power of his resurrection so that we might know him. Now I have a question for you. Do you know about God? Do you know about God? Or like Moses, like David, like Paul, do you want to know God? Do you want to know God? Maybe the better question is, do you know God?
I'm going to show you a little video. Now, I know you didn't come to watch a movie, but I want to show you a little video. It's a video of a black preacher who preached in uh, San Diego church back in the 30s and the 40s and the 50s. His name was S.M. Lockridge. Some of you may have heard him, some of you may not. But he preached a sermon called Sunday's Coming. And the video uh, is titled, That's My King. Takes about three, three and a half minutes. But it's well worth it to spend the time watching it because he talks about knowing God. Craig? The Bible says he's a king of the Jews. He's a king of Israel. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of the ages. He's a king of heaven. He's a king of glory. He's a king of kings. And he is the Lord of lords. Now that's my king. David said the heavens declare the glory of God. And the fundament showeth his handiwork. No means of measure can define his limitless love. No far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of his shoulder supply. No barriers can hinder him from pouring out his blessing. Well, well, he's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. And he's impartially merciful. That's my king. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He stands alone in himself. He's august. He's unique. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's supreme. He's preeminent. Well, he's the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the supreme problem in high criticism. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the cardinal necessity of spiritual religion. And that's my king. He's the miracle of the age. He's the superlative of everything good that you choose to call him. He's the only one able to supply all of our needs simultaneously. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He star God and he dies. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. Do you know him? Well, my king is a key of knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. He's a master of the mighty. He's a captain of the conquerors. He's the head 
of the heroes. He's the leader of the legislators. He's the overseer of the overcomers. He's the governor of governors. He's the prince of princes. He's the king of kings. And he's the lord of lords. That's my king. Well, do you know him? Do you know him? That goes on for about another three and a half minutes. Do you know him or do you know about him? He's my king. Tom Langford knows him. Do you know him? You see, that's what scripture is about. It tells us who he is. It tells us what he does. It tells us that he is faithful. It tells us that he is loving. He tells us that his word is as good as he is. Because not to describe him, not to reinforce him, but to allow us to know him that through grace by faith we can be saved so that we can share in the power of the resurrection and to know God for all eternity. That's my king. Do you know him? Who are our prayer partners today? Uh, Christy and Leslie Lee. They're going to be up here in just a minute. And if you don't know our King, they're going to be up here. And they want to help you know, not know about Jesus Christ. Have a Damascus Road experience today. Don't leave this place without knowing Jesus Christ. Don't do it. Because we don't know what tomorrow may bring, nor do you. God is not giving up on you. Don't give up on yourself. Father, you are all those things we just heard on that video. And you are so much more. And most of us here today know those things. We know about you. But Father, the desire of my heart is that I want everyone in this room, everyone who, who hears my voice today to do, to do more than just know about you. My desire is for them to know you, to have a relationship with you that goes beyond simple knowledge. That's the cry that we heard from Moses 
That's the desire that we heard from David. That's the plea that Paul makes when he says, follow us. And that's my hope for us this morning. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.